Hello and welcome to episode number 28 of the I Am a Champion show. Uh, Jonathan, uh, we don't have, we're not going to be able to get Jimmy today because Jimmy has a talent show that he's going to with his kids. So, you know, we'll miss him dearly, but I'm sure he'll be with us in spirit at some point, though. So. Yeah, Jimmy's a good dad, people. He's always doing those things and love him to death. And so, but this time it's just me and Jason. Yeah. Uh, hey, today, though, it's really cool. We got a former NFL athlete turned uh, success coach for established female entrepreneurs and business owners. And the cool thing about Kean is that he was in a significant, had a significant injury in his neck playing football. But what he did was he took a 180 as, as, because he's always focused on his masculine side, but really developed the feminine side to understand this ease and flow piece of it and being really, uh, in sync with his emotional intelligence. So this is going to be a really interesting um, uh, podcast today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm kind of wondering, like, what made him gravitate toward female executives as opposed to executives at all? And what, what how that 180 happened for him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, we're going to go ahead and bring him on and uh, introduce him to the show here. So, Kian, good morning. Hey, good morning, fellas. How's it going? Doing well, doing well. Thank you for joining us today. So, yeah, you know, like like Jonathan said, you uh, you know you start off you you're playing you're playing college football, you make the NFL, um, injury happens, and then you're like, I'm gonna do a 180 and focus on the emotional intelligence, the other piece of me that I wasn't kind of aware of. How did that whole like go from that side to the opposite side happen for you? Yeah, well, you know what's kind of I'm trying not to use the word interesting as much anymore. I'm trying to use it other words because I feel like interesting can be a filler word sometimes. Uh, but for me, I've always been someone that's never fully identified with the athlete identity and it hasn't necessarily been something where this emotional intelligence stuff has just come out of nowhere, but more so something that I've always had. And when football was no longer an option, when, uh, I literally couldn't anymore, it was more so something that I had always within me that I decided to develop. And it happened to be that in its essence, it might sound like the opposite from the gladiator football sport. Uh, but really, I, I think actually it's what allowed me to get to a certain level that I did having this EQ and then not having this big crash and burn, which happens to so many athletes when they leave the sport. Yeah, it's, well, it's, I mean, I've been there, man. I had this, I had a similar thing. I had a neck injury and a leg injury and that kind of just, you just, your body can't do it anymore. You have to make a decision about your well-being. And I'm, I'm like you, I didn't really go into the whole thing. I'd be thinking about being a Hall of Famer and all that kind of stuff. I just wanted to leverage it as I, I love the sport. And I wanted to leverage it for 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 life after, which I actually did. But when you when it when it came down for you, everybody has that change, man. When when you know it's over and you're going that other direction. So besides, was it was it just the injury? Or was there something that clicked and you went, you know, I'm doing something else? To be honest with you, I think it was the injury. Mm-hmm. I, I have, I think, I believe I have this capacity to where when something's no longer an option for me, to pivot and then to go and pursue that other thing. And I don't know exactly what that is, but uh, it's something that I've developed. Uh, but actually I do, I think I have an idea of it. As I mentioned, I've never really followed suit with what the football identity has been. Uh, I always was had a lot of friends around campus that weren't in football. I focused on my school. Uh, I developed other parts of me outside just the football part. And so for me, it wasn't as much of a crash and burn because I developed these other areas of my life. I put a priority on relationships. I put a priority on networking. So I didn't put all my eggs in one basket like a lot of athletes do. Like a lot of guys that I played with, they did that. And then when the sport was done, they had nothing to fall back on because their whole identity was built around this sport. 
So for me, I would say that's what allowed me to be able to pivot so well is that I always focused on other areas of my life. I had the capacity to focus on other areas of my life and not just football to where my whole sense of well-being wasn't annihilated when it was done. Yeah, and that's that's a big piece. You know, you talk about identity, right? And even not just sports, but a lot of us get we get really caught up and we've done something for so long. And whenever that thing is done or finished, some people like will try to like run through that same door knocking on it, knocking on it, even though it's closed, you know, whether it's injury or they think they're still good enough, maybe their skills have diminished a little bit. And this is physical skills primarily, but you know, you you were able to to develop those other areas. You talk talk about that identity piece, like how do we stop identifying as what we do as opposed to identifying as more as who we are as a, as a person, not as an activity or as a, as a sport or as an athlete, how can we develop more of that piece of who we are, not what we do? Yeah. Well, I think number one is knowing ourselves and understanding ourselves, knowing the susceptibilities we have to different uh, life events. Uh, How fragile am I? Where are the parts of me that, I have not resolved. What are the parts of me that I fall predator to or prey to in life? And so a lot of it's very scary for a lot of people to know those dark parts of ourselves that we don't want to admit that are there. And until you actually bring that darkness, uh, I say darkness in the sense of it not being uncovered, right? Just something it's not, you're not aware of. So I say darkness to the light. uh, It allows us to be less fragile and allows us to be less dependent on the external, uh, labels that we put on ourselves to justify our sense of okayness and well-being so the more we know ourselves as individuals and the things we're susceptible to and our weaknesses and and where we could potentially fall short uh, it allows us to be much more anti-fragile in our being so you know for people that are listening what you, you we talk about emotional intelligence a lot so in your mind what is emotional intelligence to people like so everybody has different definitions and things and if you obviously break the two word down about and kind of break it down what it means in that sense but to you explain to people what you feel emotional intelligence is yeah great question emotional intelligence is knowing ourselves knowing the self at the highest level and knowing where we do have emotional triggers that are screwing us over in other in different areas of life a lot of times we go through life and we we have to experience the same problems over and over and over again whether that's in our careers whether that's in relationships we never actually learn. We think that life just changes and, and that circumstance was the thing that was the problem. But in reality, it wasn't. Now, it's not to say that you, you have to dwell on that, but taking personal responsibility for the things that don't happen the way we want them to in our lives is where true power comes from. And knowing yourself, knowing the parts of ourselves that uh, are susceptible to failing is emotional intelligence to me, is really knowing the self at the highest level. And, you know, a lot of times, especially as men in our society, we are we are taught like, hey, you know what, be tough. Emotion is weakness, you know, that kind of thing. But really, the truth is emotions are more like messengers. Is that right? So, like, how do we how do we learn to listen to our emotions? So that way, like, if, you know, if we're feeling frustrated, if we're feeling angry, if we're feeling upset or sad, how can it help us, you know, find, figure out what we need in those situations, you know, so we can so we can. Uh, live healthier lives, live more emotional, intelligent lives and listen within more as opposed to, you know, just suppressing. And then all of a sudden we have anger issues because we've never fully dealt with some of the things that are going on. Yeah. I think one of the biggest misconceptions with emotions, because there's, there's this movement toward men being extremely emotional beings and learning to be more in touch with their emotions, which I don't entirely agree with because it's making a lot of very weak men, Mm. uh, to be honest with you. 
But mm-hmm. if you don't understand your own emotional triggers, as you said, and the things that make you do things that do not coincide with what you really want, you will be ran by your emotions. So unless you actually learn to get in touch with them and understand them, you'll be ran by them. So there's this idea, I think, that a lot of men uh, reject the idea of going towards emotions because it's not a very masculine thing. But actually, you are forever ran by them if you don't understand them. So in an attempt to actually be more masculine in, in what is masculinity, pursuing what you desire at the highest level possible, it requires you to understand these deeper parts of you that are emotions that a lot of the times are unresolved past experiences. So mm. it, the nature of emotions is feminine in a sense, and I can see why men don't gravitate towards it, but unless you want to be able to pursue your masculine desires at the highest level and be the best that you can possibly be for yourself, it requires you to go in and understand these emotional parts of you. So what I hear you saying is uh, being emotional is a little bit different than having emotional intelligence. And so what are, what are like one or two ways that we can, you know, let's say we're like somebody's brand new to hearing this, like, okay, Kean, that sounds all good and great. So what are a few things that I can actually do to start being more aware of my emotions and develop that emotional intelligence? What's like the foundational work of that? Well, a baseline in today's world is a lot of men are very individualistic in how they're pursuing life, or they'll just find a woman and they will just pursue life with that woman and not continue to have a pack of really awesome men in their life that they can have these open and honest conversations with about their state of being and how they're feeling, right? So number one is being able to have men around you that you can have these open, honest conversations with about difficult things that are happening in your life so they can hear you out and give you feedback so you can then change uh, that operating system. A lot of men are in really tough relationships that they might that they shouldn't be in because they don't have other men that they can really talk these things through with. Same thing with pursuing what they want at the highest level. So first off, it's, it's having men in your life that have that capacity to have those conversations with you so you can understand each other more and work through that stuff. Uh, but also it's then making the intention of having those conversations, right? My close friends and I, like we have those conversations where it's, dude, what's going on with this right now? What do you got going on this part of your life? What do you got going on that part of your life? And we talk through these things so we can then be more successful through not being ran by these things that a lot of times we can't even see they're right in front of our face. Me being an emotional intelligence coach, I still have shit that is right in front of my face that I can't see. So it's, it's important for me to be able to still have those conversations with men in my life that have the capacity to hold that space because they're also, they also have emotional intelligence to be able for all of us to work together in that. Uh, but then there's a whole other conversation of a lot of men not even really having the capacity to emotionally hear other men. So there's a couple of different routes that we can take with, with what I just said. But really, at the end of the day, it's being able to have men in your life that have the capacity to listen to you and then be able to give honest and open feedback. So, you know, you, you talk about, we, we've talked a lot about how men are and stuff, but I know that you gravitated more to whether it was by choice or by, by uh, circumstances with helping a lot of female executives. How did that come about? <laughs> it felt like a big challenge and it felt kind of scary to do. Uh, and I like to pursue things that feel like a challenge and, and that are scary, I like to go into those things. I had a couple of clients, female clients come to me because I was working with men and women for a while. And uh, they came to me and said, Kian, what would you think about just like being the female coach? Right? You have this amazingly, like, I don't want to like to my own horn. I'm just saying what they said. You have this incredible masculine 
uh, frame that you hold space for women so well, and you can also deliver them logical, practical information when they're in a place of receptivity. Like, why don't you do this? And uh, I was like, I, I don't know, Pro probably not. We'll see. I'll think about it. And I went into a two month sabbatical uh, where I was wasn't working at all. And in that time, I really was able to to tap into it and be like, you know what? Screw it. Like, let's let's just do this thing. And uh, I made the commitment to do it. And uh, it's been been incredible. I've been able to learn so much more about women and how they work and how they function and how they operate. And also at the same time, allowing them to step more into their feminine, uh, which is really what they want to be able to attract the man that they desire. And so they can stop acting in their, in their masculine, overly masculine operating system. That's actually repelling what they want and desire in their life. So it's helping me honestly, selfishly learn a lot more about women, which I think can actually help me work with men at a much higher level as well. So they can understand women a little more. Uh, and so there, there's a lot of benefits from it, but really it felt a little scary. And so I'm like, you know what, let me just do it. You know, it's like go like they always say. You know, if it feels exciting and it feels scary, that's kind of like a uh, a benchmark. Like, hey, maybe I should go that route because, like you said, how and a lot of people struggle with that. They 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 see something that they want to do, but they're scared or they're nervous or and they might be a little bit excited, but they choose not to do it because, like you said, it's out of their comfort zone. What would you tell people? Like, hey, here's what I did to overcome that feeling of, of feeling scared of feeling like, Oh, I'm not sure if I can do that and go and do it anyway. Like, like just step beyond that scarcity to, cause you know, they always say like, you know, your dreams and goals are on, on the other side of your fears. So how did you, how were you able to do that? Yeah. Uh, so there's a couple different areas they can talk about with that. But the first one that comes up is since I was really young, I never needed anybody else to push me. Like I never needed someone to say, hey, Kian, you need to get up in the morning to do this. Hey, Kian, you, it was always me. I, I found stuff like football, for example, like I would do push-ups and sit-ups when I was in, you know, sixth grade. I was in two football leagues in seventh and eighth grade because of me, not because my parents pushed me to do it. So I come from a camp of people that are inspired and motivated just in our, in our essence, I guess you can say. So I didn't have to learn how to necessarily do that. Uh, so I come from that camp. That's why I work with people like that. I work with people that have a harder time sitting down than, than getting up and off the couch. Uh, but for me, one of the most powerful things that I've been able to do is identify things that I'm scared of. Let's say, for example, posting on social media. I think this is relevant. It's scary for me to put my opinion out on social media. So instead of not doing that and telling somebody, hey, you should just put that post out on social media that you were scared to post, I go one step further and I say, instead of just confronting the beast, going and stabbing it in the stomach, which is, so it felt a little scary to say that thing on social media. What if you took it a step further and went deeper into it, right? For me, for example, I, I'm from South Dakota and in South Dakota, like you don't show off, you don't like show off your body. Like you're very like, put Midwest. your head down to work yeah. hard, Midwest, yep. you know? Uh, and so when I got to Miami, I moved to Miami after I got done playing ball and I'm exposed to this whole new realm of modeling and all this kind of stuff. And uh, it was scary for me to post a picture with my shirt off, right? Like a picture like that. And so something that I did was, I, I mean, I wear Speedos all the time now and I love rocking those. But uh, I would post pictures where it was like a tiny, small swimsuit and it scared the crap out of me. So if there's a post that you're scared to post, not only post that, but actually take it a step, make it a conscious step to go further and add more depth to what you actually feel and think about it, right? And so to get to that point, I mean, it, it, it takes a little bit of self-confidence and uh, the capacity to, to know that you can trust yourself. But 
I think that's a really powerful thing because it's not only just doing the thing, but then it's consciously taking a step further to go deeper into it and actually doing more. That's something I practice a lot with my clients. So um, like, I want to I want to touch a little bit more on the whole emotional intelligence things. I mean, like people, there's a stereotype like athletes, and especially football, they don't think that we're very educated or it's like the whole gladiator mentality and stuff. Do you think being emotional, do you think that those emotional intelligence skills that you have were they present already? And did you think that helped you during your football career as, just as much as after? Incredible question. A- absolutely. I can't tell you how many guys that were extremely talented that didn't pan out because they didn't have the mental capacity to be able to handle uh, the pressure right? or the mental capacity to handle making a mistake. And I take a lot of pride in my ability to be able to make a mistake forget about it, make a mistake, forget about it, make a mistake, forget about it. No, I know in the back of my mind in the film room, I'm going to have to deal with it <laughs> eventually at some point, uh, but it's not going to be something that I deal with in that ge- in the game. And a lot of great, great athletes uh, that could have been great players didn't have that capacity to forget, to mentally just forget about the play and move on. So absolutely. Also in a sense of pressure, like I love when I get forced and put into a place of pressure. Sometimes I can be a little relaxed and then when I get like punched or hit in the face, it's just on. I'm like, okay, boom, here it is. There's a huge crowd here. My best games are always in front of the biggest crowds. So I, I, I guess there was something inside of me uh, that has been there. Um, but like I said, I don't really know where, where it comes from. I mean, for me, I always, I'm, I was kind of the same way. I like when the pressure happened was, and you don't have time to think. Your instincts, your training, your practice just takes over. And if something happens, you're like, okay, that was the first quarter. It's the second quarter or it's the third quarter or whatever. I don't have time for that nonsense. And what I've seen happen as I've gotten into my personal life is I've, I've, I've had to learn to be patient with people that dwell on things. Like they will dwell on something that happened last week or a mistake they made or they missed a project or a deadline at work. And I'm like, that happened. Let's, let's overcome, improvise that. How do we make this better? How would we move forward? Have you found that problem too? Like with like people who don't have that capacity, don't have that emotional intelligence, do you butt heads with them or is it kind of one of those things you could ignore them? Mm. Well, it depends on the level that I'm receiving in that circumstance. Yeah. So if it's someone that I care about and I have the capacity to be there with them in that space, then I will. If it's somebody that's paying me to do that for them, then I will. So something that I've gotten much better at is tuning into how much am I actually receiving in this interaction and what capacity do I have to give to this person in this interaction? So not everybody that comes up to me that's dealing with stuff or messaging me on social media, I have the capacity for, and I'll acknowledge that. And it might sound like I'm a dick, but I really don't care because when I put myself first in those circumstances, I'm able to give to the people that I feel like I'm receiving from at a much, much, much greater capacity. And the people that are close to me and the people that decide to invest in me mean way more to me than a random person that messages me on Facebook. So a lot of it comes down to what am I receiving from this and what capacity do I have in this moment? And that might sound selfish and it is because I care about how much I'm giving to the people that I actually care about and people that are deciding to actually invest in me. I don't really care about the world. I I honestly don't. You know, and uh, as we, uh, Jimmy is actually going to join us here, uh, Jonathan. He actually, so we, there's a possibility that we might get Jimmy today now. So he's oh, okay. showing up. But, Ken, I want to go back to the confidence piece that you talked about earlier about having the confidence. Like you came from, like, I'm a guy too. So, whenever you talked about like taking your shirt off and going to Miami and posting on like 
like, oh my gosh, I feel the exact same way. Now, granted, I'm not a former football player, obviously, but you like how in the world? Because this is what, what I hear from parents all the time as a teacher is like, how do I get my kids to be more confident in themselves, who they are, with all the pressures they have to fit in, you know, find friends, that kind of stuff. They tend to lose themselves along the process. So, you know, a couple of ways. How did you develop your confidence to to be who you are, not just as an athlete? but as, you know, a whole person? Well, for, for the, the, what I would say to those parents is be confident. Like, I, like a lot of parents are premature parents that shouldn't be parents, first off, which is a huge problem in this world right now. People are having kids way too early that aren't fit to be parents. Uh, so, of course, your kids aren't going to have confidence if you're not confident. Like that's kind of like a baseline piece of it. So it's, respo- it's uh, my responsibility as a human being, if I'm deciding to bring kids in this world to develop the skills inside of me to be able to then give them those skills. And so I don't have to rely on the world to be able to do that. So they're already in a position where they have kids, right? Okay, great. That's kind of going a little few steps before that. Uh, But I would still give the same advice in, are you living a life that makes you feel confident? Like parents want to be able to preach and give to their kids something that, that they're not willing to go do and get themselves and good luck. Like, Mm. you know, I, I don't, I don't understand that. To be honest like you can't you. give what you don't already have kind of thing right? or not developing right that kind of thing right and and, and that's just that's just evolution too right mm-hmm. like if you don't have those skills and you haven't developed them it's hard to expect your offspring just to be able to have them unless you be able to surround them with people uh and put them around people that have confidence i think you can do that as a parent put them in an environment to where that confidence can be nurtured uh, if you have the capacity to work hard and put your kid into a more of a a private school or somewhere where they're going to be fed into more, right? Like that's what you can do as a parent. Uh, but as far as just like words to them, I mean, it's, it's useless. Kids don't care about that. Kids care about actions. And then they see monkey see monkey do. That's how kids are. But I, but I think that goes back to, you know, our, our schooling systems, our environments that people are raised up in and you get to a point you're conditioned, right? And you maybe don't have confidence and you think schooling's done. I'm not going to learn anymore just going to go do what I'm doing. Now we have kids, like you said, and you're not becoming a better version of yourself. So now you're developing the skill sets that maybe you weren't taught before you're conditioned in a negative way. Now you can recondition yourself for that success. And now you're teaching your kids, or like you said, you're modeling for your kids. Do you see that a lot of times and try to like encourage people like, Hey, listen, like where you've been at and where you, where you're at today, doesn't mean that's where you're going. There's opportunities with, you know, YouTube and, courses out there, online courses and education, things you can learn to become a better version of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the times there's people that are motivated that just don't have access to certain resources. And that's why it's important to to network. It's important to uh, do what you can to become a person of value. So people that have value want to be around you. And so it's kind of a catch 22, but really I'm a huge fan of personal responsibility, like personal responsibility. I don't have sympathy for people that don't have that drive to do that. And I don't, I don't like, might be sound kind of like bad, but it's not my responsibility to do so. I can be here to, to inspire people that want to take action. Uh, and unless you're paying me uh, or unless like I actually have something invested in that circumstance, it's going to be hard for me to do. So what really is my advice with that? It's do what you can to become a person of value. Like if first and foremost, if your physical health isn't a top, top priority for you, then it's hard to be able to establish any other foundation of, of value. So physical health, I think a lot of times can come first before emotional because it's hard to, 
to establish a relationship with our deeper emotional side, which that would be say is the next layer of, of, of value. Uh, when you have a disconnection with your physical body. And I think that's a big benefit a lot of athletes actually have. Uh, they have an incredible base and foundation and the skills they learn from it. Now it's working through the emotional part. So for a lot of people, if you don't have a physical uh, uh, presence with internal and external health, it's difficult to be able to tap into more of the emotional side. So baseline, people with value have an incredible relationship with their body the majority of the time. And if you want to be around those people, so you gain the skills that you need to have to be able to become a even more person of value, you have to take care of that first and foremost. So, you know, we keep talking, I keep coming back to the whole emotional intelligence thing because it's real, that's, it's a, um, a pet thing of mine. I love, I love talking about the subject matter. I think it's very important, especially as Jimmy always brings up when it comes to mentoring and coaching people, I really believe you have to be someone who has emotional intelligence to coach and mentor other people. You just really need to be that kind of person or they won't get the most out of it and stuff. So we, and Jimmy is a big, big supporter of this the whole time, but we look at the landscape right now with some of the coaches and officials and how even athletes are reacting, like the whole Chris Paul thing that happened with the, the fans in the stands and stuff. I mean, when you look at that kind of stuff, what would you tell coaches and mentors to help a kid, help people get better at that by using emotional intelligence? What would you tell, how would you guide them to be better coaches and better mentors and even better parents? I think. Guy, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I feel like a, like a broken record a little bit here, but learning and understanding yourself at a deeper level allows you to better show up for other people. And if you don't understand the parts of you that are triggered and the parts of you that need to give advice uh, when actually you should be listening or vice versa, when you feel like, if you feel like you have to over listen as a coach or a mentor, instead of being able to actually share advice or wisdom, you can't give somebody else that information. And so one of those powerful parts about working through your own deeper uh, inadequacies or parts of you that are susceptible to um, getting picked on or failing, you don't have the capacity to really understand others at a deeper level. Because if I'm resolved, if I have things resolved inside of me, and I'm able to be fully present with somebody in the experience, I'm then adequately able to give them the medicine of whatever they need in that moment. So I, I could say like some like tips and pointers as far as what to say to somebody in certain moments, but really what it comes down to in being an incredible mentor or coach for somebody else is having the emotional intelligence inside of yourself and resolve those things so I can be present. Because most of the time, if you're present with somebody in an experience. It's hard to not actually give them what they need in that moment. But if you're not in, in your head, you're not in that space with them because you have other things that are unresolved inside of you, then it's going to be difficult. Now, obviously, there is practical things that you can say and do to be able to help someone become a better version of themselves, of course. But I'm speaking more from a, a baseline standpoint of uh, this is like a foundation to build off of. And then some of the more practical things can then come into play. But I think it's important to have the foundation and not just, it's like, it's like I see all the time with game. Like this is just relevant. I have a lot of, a lot of friends that focus on game with women and learning how to get women at a better level, at a higher level, what to say, how do you say the right things to get, get a woman. And you can learn how to say the right things to a woman to get her to fall for you. But if you haven't actually become that person inside of yourself, she's like, she's going to leave. Like she's eventually going to see and, and expose a part of you that is just, just a, a presentation. And I think it's the same thing for great coaches and mentors in that you can learn the things to say to get a kid motivated or driven. But at the end of the day, if you don't have work on that foundational fundamental piece inside of you and you can't be present with somebody in the experience, 
you know, the, your, your help can only go so far. So when you talk about that being present, because I, I think that's so key in relationships, my question goes back to this is working on yourself. I totally agree because it all starts with you. But how do you become more present in conversations, in relationships when, when you're with somebody? What are tips that you give to people? Because like you said, it, it like whether you're in a, a, uh, a marriage relationship and your wife's telling you something, you want to respond, you want to fix it so much instead of just being like present and listening um, to, to just let her discuss what's going on and she can feel like you care. What are ways you talk to people about being more present? Get therapy. Everybody should have therapy. I don't know why anybody would not. You're stupid if you don't. Like you'll be driven by your programming. And, if, and like, it's so obvious to me that people that haven't gotten therapy because they just do these patterns over and over again. It, they're, they're so predictable. People are so predictable that haven't done any kind of aggressive work on themselves to understand why they are the way they are. So above, like, above all, and I said at the beginning of this podcast, men in particular, men having other men that they can go to to have these deep conversations about what they have going on with themselves and getting honest feedback from their friends. Right. So it's really problem solving and troubleshooting your issues at the highest level that allows you then to be present with other people. So if I'm actually if I resolve these things going on in my life, then I have this ability to be present. Right. If I haven't resolved the reason why I can't sit there and listen to my wife, then I won't be able to actually do that. Why do you feel the need to have to overpower your wife in that moment and not actually be able to listen to her? Well, maybe there's something that happened in your childhood that you felt like you know, you couldn't speak up or you didn't have a voice, so you couldn't listen to somebody else. And now don't get me wrong. There is fundamental uh, teachings that can come into a relationship that can make somebody's relationship better. Like in an example with, with being able to listen, adequately listen to your wife in that moment. But really it's about having a space that you can go to, to work through and process your stuff. So you can then adequately show up for people uh, in the present moment, I, I, I have this capacity to work through a lot of the issues that I have, or at least have the capacity to be able to not see the issues that I have in my life as issues because of a lot of the uh, work that I've done as far as uh, psychologically and mentally and emotionally on myself. What do, what do you tell people are like, well, OK, that's great, but where do I go get a therapist? What, what kind of therapist should I look for? Uh, what's the right one for me? Um, to work through these emotional, maybe childhood traumas that I have that I'm dealing with, what's the best way for them to go about it? Oof. Uh, well, I guess that that's, if you really feel the need and desire to do that, I, I, if I want something, I research it. I, I research it. I'm like, okay, if I want to get better at this, I research it and I take the time to do that. So uh, you can start off by watching, like, I mean, this, this, is, this is the primary uh, audience men, I could imagine here it's a mixture of men and women make, make sure and, men yeah. and women make sure okay um you can just type in like emotional intelligence on youtube and you'll get a bunch of great people that pop up that starts to talk about this stuff and then from there as you start to get more acclimated with what this is and what it looks like you'll have more of a, a buy-in for having the desire to find someone that you can adequately speak through some of these things with uh, but if you don't have someone start off with your relationships with people close to you and saying hey dude or, or, or girl, like, let's have deeper conversations. Let's have conversations where we can actually uh, share the things that we have going on in our lives, or we can give each other honest feedback, because I don't think a lot of people actually do that. I think a lot of people live their life and just like going through the motions and doing things with people and not actually maximizing relationships, which is why they're really there to help us grow together 
And if you can't have those with the people close to you, get new people close to you. You know, and okay. uh, go ahead, Jace. Well, I was saying, like, my wife and I, we just watched the Ted Lasso episode wherever he walks in and out of the therapist's office like three or four times. And he's like, I never give up on something. But he then he like throws her under the bus. He does all this kind of stuff. And then he keeps coming back. But and I felt I kind of felt that way a lot about therapy because I was like, oh, this person's just being paid to hear me tell my problems. Right. But the reality of it is she was like, well, you coach. Right. And they pay you. Right. You well, yeah, well, well, can, I, can, I, can I say something with that? Report? Yeah, go ahead. Exactly. Exactly. So th- th- don't expect them to be this like, like savior for you. That's going to like actually emotionally care about you. You're paying them for you to be able to process and work through your stuff. So see it as that, right? They're, they're not, you're not paying them to be uh, your best friend and to, to actually like hear, hear you fully use them for what it is. It's a transaction. Like your, your therapy is a transaction, right? So it, it's really important to see it as that. Right? I, 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 What's an investment. So an investment in yourself, right? You're investing something. But she also said, right. though, like, as a coach, do you care about your players? It was like, yeah. And, you know, so I think some people, like, even though you, like, you know, people that, that, I, that maybe pay you for a client, you still care about them, right? I mean, so you can still be investing, but still have people care about you at the same time. Those can work hand in hand. Uh, yes. But it's like, it's like, what's your definition of care, though? Right. Like mm-hmm. I care about my clients through me doing as much as I possibly can in my end to show up in my best possible self for them. So like, what, what's your definition of care? Is it me saying, Hey, I got you, dude. Like that might help, but really at the end of the day, it's me doing the work on the back end for me to be able to show up in my best capacity for them. And that's how I demonstrate care. So I don't demonstrate care by being saying, Hey, I'm your friend or Hey, like we're going to have this amazing bond that's going to extend through the ages. I care through giving them the result that they want. And I think that is what it is at the end of the day. It's like being able to really identify what you need, be able to express it, and then to be okay with just fully receiving that. Like people don't come expecting a friend. Now, friendship emerges through a lot of my coaching relationships afterward, but that's not what it's built around. I'm not there to just like be their friend and care for them in that way. I'm there to get them a result, and that's why they're paying me. So let's, can we dive into that a little bit? Like, okay, I hire you. You're going to be my coach. What does it start? Like, do we interview the first time? Do you ask me questions? Do you have a, a blueprint you follow? So what would a client or someone like myself or anybody coming to you, what would that coaching look like? The first call is I, I always keep it very light. It's just us getting to know each other. Like in order for me to be able to serve you, I have to know you at, at a deeper level. So I don't get into a whole lot of coaching on a first call. It's more me getting to know you more and then them getting to know me more too. I believe that transparency is important because there is an element of uh, trust that has to be established for there to be a release of emotion and information on, on their end. And that's where therapy does fall short a lot, honestly. Uh, and that's why coaching, it, it's difficult to find people that have the ability to cite like science or psychologically to do what therapists do, but also have the relatability uh, at the same time, to be able to bring that out of you. So, Jason, I do understand what you're saying in regards to just feeling like the therapist is just like operating in that methodical way where there's not actually that connection. It is important, but that's a baseline, getting in and doing that. So if you if you haven't done therapy, that's important to learn how to just to be able to talk about what you got going on. But me sharing my personal experiences with them and them getting to know me is something that's going to allow me to get a better result with them. So their results are always number one in mind when 
I get into the container with them. And it just happens to be that that first call is for them to get those results. Me sharing my circumstance, what I have going on in my life happens to attribute to the, to the best results. So that's the first call. And the next call, uh, it's a little more of coach Kean. <laughs> it's, it's a little different. Uh, and each person is very individualized. I do not have a blueprint for anything that I do. It's all showing up to the call and delivering the medicine that needs, that needs to be delivered in that call. Uh, and so sometimes people are a little skeptical and I would expect them to be. A lot of people say that they, they weren't even fully sure what it was they knew they were getting into when they start with me. <laughs> but I, I kind of like that. I think it's funny. Uh, but then at the end of it, they're like, oh my gosh, this is this. You can go to my website. You see like, I don't know, like 30 or 40 testimonies of people sharing that and talk about their experiences with me. But, uh, it is very individualized. And, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, I have on my website, there's like a, a general idea of like what we'll do, but it's not what I follow because it's just, it, it's so individualized to the person in that moment. And that's something I'm really good at is tuning into that. Mm. And, and that kind of segues into that piece that you talked about, like you mastered the, the feminine side of your mind of ease and flow and attraction. And I know that's something that's always interested to me. So like ease and flow and attraction. Some people might be like, what do we mean by that? What's that talking about? Can you describe that? And then what were some of the steps you took to be able to master that skill set to where life just comes to you? You're not trying to force it. You're not trying to push things. You just like allow it to happen. Mm, God's a great question. Great question. Uh, let's start off with ease of flow and attraction and what it is, because people might hear that and might be like, oh, well, that means that I don't have to do anything. And people talk about manifestation a lot. And that means that I don't have to get up and take action. Uh, that's not what I mean. What it actually is, is tuning into the 10 to 15% of the actions that you're taking that actually contribute to your bottom line. As men and women that, that have a tendency to operate more in their masculine energy, uh, we have this like push, 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 make things happen type of operating system. And inherently, there's nothing wrong with that. That's how things get done. And that's how things evolve and change. But if you have it to the extent where you're so disconnected from what's actually contributing to your bottom line, what's actually contributing to the highest ROI for you, you're doing things that are just you're doing it for the sake of doing them, not because there's an actual intent behind it. And so getting into a place of more ease and flow and understanding yourself is learning what things in your life are actually contributing to the bottom line and success of your life. And so I might've been do, operating at hundred percent and getting this result. And now because I'm understanding at a deeper level, cause I'm slowing down and I'm reflecting and understanding what's actually the things that are contributing to the success of my business or in my relationships, I'm able to then give much more in that, but it's much more precise. So I might be doing 15% of the work, but the work that I'm doing was the actual work that's attributing contributing to the bottom line of my success. And I can't learn what those things are in the different areas of my life and be more efficient until I understand the dynamics of what I'm doing and be able to reflect on those to learn, okay, what's actually uh, contributing to the, to the bottom line. Not, not what am I just doing for the sake of doing? I think it goes back to, you know, being, we're a human being, not a human doing and that, that being piece, I think is part of that ease and flow that you talk about because I know for myself, like it was always like, hey, I got my to-do list. And the more I get my to-do list done, the more productive I'm going to be. And I was like, well, kind of. But like you said, there's also that piece of tapping into that ease and flow. And then it's almost like you're still taking action, but it feels more effortless. It doesn't feel like you're having to push as hard, right? It feels like you are 
in a, a in a flow of almost like water flowing down like a river kind of thing. It just goes right as opposed to like having to like try to bust through the door. You can hit the door as hard as you want. Doesn't mean it's going to get knocked over. A hundred percent. And you might be running into a wall that there's nothing behind it to be able to push it down. So that's where that reflection in, in all areas of life allows us to, to understand, okay, what are the doors that actually have space behind them and what aren't? And it's really what it comes down to just pure efficiency at the highest level. And in business, for example, learning how to work really hard to build a foundation is very important. It's crucial. Right? But then you hit a point where that no longer is the thing that's going to get you more success. Learning how to work out, move out of being the worker bee and moving into being a CEO in your life is they're very different things. And that's what I, what I teach a lot of people how to do is, is learning how to be actually be a CEO of, of area, every area of your life where you're more pointing and putting things in the right direction rather than having to be the one that's doing absolutely everything all the time. And so in business, whether that's allocating things to other people or in your life, getting maybe getting a chef, getting like these different things, like it, 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 getting more assistance, uh, having the capacity to do those things and learning what your zone of genius is through that emotional intelligence and then uh, getting rid of other things or distributing them to other people to do them. So let's say you and I start, we had our two sessions, we talked on the phone, you know, just like when working out and with um, training and with anything else, when, when would someone say, oh my gosh, in a week, you're going to see something different. You might see something the first time we talk. Is it, is there a, a, a I guess an ebb and flow rhythm of how long before I would start to see some changes, or is that just a, an individual thing? It just happens when it happens. Mm. You're going to feel it after the first session. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the first session happens, I'm going to feel something differently. And you keep smiling because like, you know, you know, we're not getting the, the secret sauce yet because that's what you paid for. I get that and stuff, but I appreciate that. So, but you know, I, I, I'm open. Hey, I'm open to giving the secret sauce. Sometimes it's just like I said, sometimes it's like it just, I got to get fucking whacked in the, excuse me, I'm, I swear, I'm sorry. Uh, I get whacked in the face to be able to give you those answers. So if you want to go deep with some of these questions, really like poke at me, I'm more than happy for, for you to do that. Awesome. Well, I got a really good emotional questions. Like yeah. you, played at, you played at University of South Dakota, right? And, I, and I'm a Bill Maher fan. Why do we have two Dakotas? I, I don't understand why we have two Dakotas. <laughs> I just, it's like, I really don't like the, the population size. Like, well, I'll just make one big Dakota. Everybody's happy. I don't get it. You, you know what? It actually, being honest with you, it probably would make things easier. Yeah. Because people like so, South or North and most people, it's funny because I've, I've lived all over the world and even being here, I'm like, it's okay for them to not know where South Dakota is. But most people are like, where's South Dakota? I'm like, do you, do you live in the U.S.? So, so honestly, if I could just say Dakota is right here, you go straight up from Texas and Little down from Canada, that's that area. So Boom, I think actually is. Dakota would probably be be much easier, uh, to be honest with you. <laughs> and one thing I'd like to tap into is you talk about on your site is you help people achieve impossible goals, what they think is impossible to them. How do you get, first of all, when you're sitting down and visiting with people to really, because a lot of times, you know, people will write down goals they think they can achieve or they already have achieved, right? Or might stretch them a little bit, but these impossible ones, a lot of times we can't go there because like, oh, you know, th this can't happen. Why do I want to write that down? I'm, you know, fooling myself of doing that. So how do you get people to get into the element for themselves to be able to write those impossible goals down and to get to points where they truly believe it and they start taking action toward it? Mm. Well, there's something that's really 
popular in personal development community in that it's understanding what you want and then being able to go all in pursuing it. But they're missing a step before that. And this is what I love talking about because nobody, nobody talks about this is getting to a point where you have the capacity to understand what it is that you want and desire. And so it may take a period of time, a grace period of time of you making a conscious effort of getting to know yourself at a deeper level in reflection through doing things that are the opposite of what you've always done. For me, for example, I was a football player in South Dakota. I moved to Miami and was exposed to a ton of new stuff. Just being transparent with you guys, I was a stripper for three months, right? Just for the hell of it. It was hilarious. I thought it was, it was a, such a great experience. Oh my gosh. I'm glad I got out of it, <laughs> but it was hilarious when I was there. And it was me putting myself in a position that was outside of the realm of what I assumed myself of being. And so I spent an extended period of time of doing things that were outside the realm of what I knew myself and experienced myself as. And through time of me doing that and challenging the operating system that I believed I was, it allowed me to actually understand who I want to be separate from who I've been, which allows me to then be capable of actually understanding what I desire at a high level. But people are trying to make decisions for what they want with the rest of their life when they're living in a state of how they've always lived. Yep. So getting outside of that realm of who you've always been and doing things outside of that helps you better understand what you want and desire. So, cause I think a lot of people talk about goal setting and, and how to be able to do that. But for me, it, it's, it's not, it's not necessarily sexy, like no pun intended with the stripping thing uh, <laughs> of taking the time to challenge your old belief systems and doing things outside the realm of who you've always been. But really, that's how you understand what you truly want and desire at the highest level, which then gives you the fuel to be able to pursue it. Because for me, like what I pursue at the highest level doesn't come from outside motivation. It's something that's planted inside of me because I'm in tune with it. I'm in tune with what I want and desire at the highest level, which gives me the motivation to just do it. Where the things and time and effort that I, and energy I put into it don't feel like work. I'm up putting a ton of hours, but it's because there's something lit inside of me that's pushing me to do that. And it doesn't feel like effort. So if you want to learn what you truly want and desire at the highest level, it's going to require you to challenge who you've always been through a lot of reflection. So you then don't need motivation to be inspired to go do it. Hey, Jonathan and Jay, real quick on this. I know you got something on this because I, I've been, I've already been Jimmy twice on this thing. So just a heads up. The he, one he, thing I want to mention. Means, Jimmy we, jumps in and goes, I know Jay has to say something. Or I know John's getting ready to say something, but let me jump in real quick. We call that being Jimmy. But we have a strategy how we know the next <laughs> one's coming. And I've been blocked a couple times. But what I want to get into this part, which you mentioned, is this. Don't you feel like people get in a box? They, they're, You're born, right? And you're living. And you're, you're as a child. And you think you can do great things. You're using your imagination. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And maybe people are telling you, are you crazy? You can't do this. Or maybe you don't succeed at something. They call you a failure or whatever. And then eventually you get in the box. And you stay in that box, right? And, and there's no desire within that box. What you're saying is you got to get outside that box. Mm. You got you got to go do things that maybe you haven't done, right? To extend yourself, right? And now you start maybe finding those things you have a desire for, and you get that desire from within, and that's where that motivation comes, right? Mm. Absolutely. And one of the most fascinating things about humans too is behind a lot of massive resistance we have to doing certain things actually is desire. And so doing things that are scary as heck for you that are out, like, for, for example, for me, dancing. Oh my gosh. Like I moved magic to Colombia. I lived there. <laughs> right. And th this is different magic bike. Absolutely. Uh, but when I moved from, I moved from Miami to Colombia, I lived there for a year and God, I'm from South Dakota, man. Like I'm a, a good old boy playing football. We, we don't really express ourselves like that with dancing. 
Okay. And so me doing a dance class, I remember from like, oh, I can feel the tension in my body now of it. But when I first started getting dance classes in Colombia, I would, I would literally, like my body would start to shut down because of how much like uh, discomfort I had with even getting into the class. Like I would dread her showing up because I was like, oh my gosh, no, no, I can't do this. My body was so uncomfortable with it because it was so outside the realm of what I've always done. You know, I was a, I, I was a gladiator. Like we don't, we don't dance. <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, so for me, it's, it's understanding. Actually, I'd say for everybody, it's understanding that there's going to be massive resistance behind doing things that you've never done before. And so giving yourself permission to do those things that feel super uncomfortable, regardless of what your, what your previous prejudices are of those things, is actually where incredible growth is at that allows you to understand more of, of yourself. Right now, I like dancing. It's fun. I still get uncomfortable, right? but I'm a lot better at it. And it's something I can break out. And it's a new skill that I have. And I like having that, you know? So there's this old, there's a, phase, a saying my dad used to say, and I, I know he didn't, he didn't create it, but it's kind of like either you become, your circumstances make you or you make your circumstances. Mm. And when I think about what you've been trying to talk about or what you've been explaining, how it's coaching and teaching, do you really, do you like, and it also goes along with Jimmy just said about being in the box, which he was so excited about the, about the box, okay? <laughs> but when you get out of the box, and stuff would you do you think it's more that people like you're you're a product of your circumstances to work through it or you feel like that person can say you know i'm gonna make my own circumstances and, and guide myself mm, absolutely you can make your own circumstances and guide yourself and i want to like touch on the box for a second because the example that, that i use is it's like trying to be get it's like trying to stop being a crackhead living in a crack house yeah there you go really yeah. really it's what it is like if you want to stop doing crack like you have to get out of the house where it's immediately available and the people that are there are, are giving you the crack and they're doing it themselves. And no, that's scary. That can be scary for people leaving an environment that you've always known or leaving uh, an activity or a job that you, that you've always known. But if you want to be able to stop being in this box, if you want to stop being a crackhead, you got to leave the crack house. Yep. And that comes with discomfort. And when you do that, that creates confidence to be able to do it more and more. And so many people that have never left their circumstance and have always just been in the same thing, same hometown, same thing their family did as far as a job goes, and you've always just followed that, it's going to be difficult to find your sense of individuality. And so to get to the point of you being able to have the confidence to create that life that your dad was talking about, Jonathan, which obviously he was able to do an element of that himself for you to be able to do what, what you've done, which is incredible. Uh, and I love that as an example, but it requires you to leave what you've always known. And once you've learned through leaving what you've always known that you have a capacity to not only survive, but thrive, that's where more confidence comes from. So it's like people want to have confidence to do bigger things, but most of the time, bigger things, uh, being at the, the capacity to do bigger things comes from uh, you doing it. Yeah. And stepping I, outside of what you've always known. So not before Jason jumps in here real quick, because you just got... <laughs> But um, it's really ironic because just this week and even just yesterday, I've really started noticing lately, I don't know if it's just circumstances I just did, but people who like grew up here or grew up in the same town and mom and dad and grandma live around, that's an amazing feeling. But everybody I've met like that are very insecure, very shy and very like, they don't even want to drive, like Jason came to visit me. They don't even want to drive just 10 minutes over the hill or 20 minutes to another area to hang out. They feel uncomfortable. Like, I don't want to go. Why can't we stay here? And I really, like you said, if, if you hang out in that same group, it's not that it's a bad thing to grow up around grandma and auntie and all those family, but you're never going to grow if you stay in that environment. 
I mean, what do you think about that? I, I, I have no comment on that. Just yes. Like, like, yes. Like, like it's, it's like, it's like, in a, like to, to be honest with you, it, it seems it, to me, it's a, it's a mathematical equation. Two plus two equals four. Like, yeah. yes. If you stay in that environment, you will remain the same. It, and now some people, to some extent you can shift and change, but it's like trying to climb a mountain with, you know, 50 rocks hanging from you. It's like, would you rather climb a mountain with cutting off all the strings that have these rocks attached to them? It's much going to be much easier, you know? So absolutely. Yes. My last question before we get to the last question. And by the way, Jimmy, I got Jimmy by Jonathan just now. So I'm going to make sure that. Hey, Jason, I got one right when you get done before you go into something. Okay. Okay. Well, I want (laughs) to. Last thing that I want to talk about is the importance of, of patience and persistence, right? Because, because so many people say like, you know, oh, well, it's not happening when I thought it would, or, you know, like they, they try something in and they're not seeing the thing, the fruits of their labor, like yet. Right. But, you know, patience is not just like sitting back and allowing things to happen. It's having the right time to act, but then the perseverance piece of like, if you feel connected with something like stick with it because that's the most successful people stay with it they might have to pivot a little bit but can you kind of like reemphasize the importance of like hey patience part of that ease and flow piece knowing when to act and then also that that the power of persevering going through stuff handling challenges that kind of thing mm-hmm. patience i think people are too patient I think, I think most people actually are, are too patient in not just, just not just doing what it is they want to do. And there, there is people like most, a lot of people that I do, that I work with happen to be some of the people that could embody some of the patients. Like I said, they're the people that have a harder time sitting down than standing up. But for the majority of people that have a hard time uh, standing up and getting going and running with their life, you are too patient. You're way too patient. Life's flying by in front of you. Like you just got to, you like, I know it sounds kind of cliche, but just, it's just doing it. It's just doing that thing. I know stupid amount of people that are stuck. Jonathan, probably a lot of people that you were referring to uh, that have never left, they have things that they want to do and they're not even taking steps towards it. Like they're not, they're not even pursuing it anyway because they are too patient. And that's why I actually don't mind people crashing and burning and that happening because sometimes that allows people to take action. And, and, and in that dark place that happens, something shifts and changes inside of you and it creates that burning desire for more inside of yourself. And I'm not afraid of people doing that, crashing and burning. And because I'm not afraid of that for myself. Because I know when I get put in those circumstances and situations, I grow substantially and creates more inspiration inside of me to pursue what I want. So until you get to a point where you are tired of being patient, you can't learn. Like keep failing. Yeah, I want to bring. Can I bring up the box one last time? Jonathan, <laughs> yeah. the box. Hey, hey, Jim, I love. I could talk about the box. So, all so day, check this out. The reason I'm going to tell it. you a story about the box. This is great. So the other day, I had a guy come out and detail our car at the house. Right, he did an amazing job. I mean, it looked like a brand new car, and it got done. I'm like, gosh, dang. so I'm talking to him. I go, how did you get in this? He had his own detailing business. I go, how did you get into this? Because we'll tell you the truth. I was in the car business. I was selling cars and I was like doing finance and I was kind of running a lot. And I was just like sick and tired of it. And I wanted to do something different. I really did. I wanted to go out on my own, but I just didn't. But, you know, in the car business, we have it's called the box. You have the box. 
and you have this box sitting by your side. You're ready to dump stuff in the box and go. And he goes, I got this lady called me up and she's like, hey, um, do you know anyone that does like detailing cars? And he's like, no, nah, I really don't. So he hung up and he was like thinking about it. And he's like, man, maybe I'll go detail this lady's car. So he calls her back up a week later and says, hey, do you still need your car to be detailed? And she's like, yeah. And he goes, I'll tell you what, would you be okay if I come and detailed your car? She goes, that'd be awesome. He goes, I'll tell you what, I'm going to come out and detail it. And if I don't do a good enough job, you don't like it, don't pay me. If I do a great job, pay me. Mm. She's like, great. So he goes, I go out, I do a bang up job. She pays me. She tells other people about me. I tell a lawyer friend of mine, she wants me to come do it. I, I do it. When I leave, I'd leave the place and the boss of mine says, hey, listen, when you're done jacking around with what you're going to go do, call me up. We'll have a spot for you. So two months later, the guy calls him up and says, hey, man, you ready to come back and start working? He goes, let me tell you something. No. You know why? Because I wake up in the morning. I dress in whatever I want to dress in. I go to people's houses. They're happy to see me. I go detail the car. I got my headphones in, listen to whatever I want to listen to. If I need to take a break, take a break. I get done. They're tickled pink and they pay me. And they keep spreading the word of mouth. And I do it on my own schedule. Mm. So, by the way, I'm not coming back. Because I developed my own business and I took the chance. So it made me think about you when you talk about the box. Hmm. I I love that. I love that. And and, and what did he do? I'm I'm gonna actually just gonna roll with this guy's this this window that's going across my face. So it's uh we're just gonna roll with that. Um but many people don't take action because what they're not receiving in the moment. And for that guy to be able to take the initiative, say, hey, and have the confidence, say, hey, if it's not good enough, don't pay me. Like taking risks like that is where success comes from. And that's why learning how to sell, getting into a sales job, like putting yourself in a position where you have to survive based off your performance is an incredible way to build that for yourself. Uh, But that's that courage right there that he demonstrated. Like, that's it. That's a juice right there. (laughs) Well, Ken, uh, you know, thank you for joining us today, man. And, and before we uh, have you tell us where people can find you, we want to know, we have this one question that we end with, and it's, in your opinion, what does it mean to be a champion in life? Mm. Uh, Jason, if, if you wouldn't mind, can I share one more thing that I think yeah. would be really valuable Please. for people to, Absolutely. Uh, to know? Okay, cool. Because uh, this is something that I actively practice, and I don't think this is something that, that many people talk about, is that I actually use like locations and I use music to be able to <clears> – <throat> deliver me parts of myself that I want to evolve into. So for example, I moved to Colombia. Living there allowed me to connect to a much more feminine part of myself because the the nature of the area is much more feminine. It's dancing, it's expressive, it's open, it's food. It allowed me to get more in touch with that part of myself because the culture was representative of that. Same thing with music. If I'm trying to get more in touch with myself at a deeper level, then maybe listening to some music that triggers those emotional responses in me allows me to be able to do that. I just moved to LA. I moved to LA two months ago. I want to be around the energy of people in LA and I want to embody some of that for myself. Right? I go to Equinox. I'm around those people that, that have this essence that I want to carry more of. So if you want to be able to change and shift, you, you move your environment around to be able to support you and being able to do that. So if there's certain parts of you that wants to get better at doing, you want to be able to work harder. Well, what environment can you put yourself in to be around people or the energy of working harder? Well, go through yourself in New York, right? That, that moves and hustles and bustles pretty quick, right? Now, it's not saying you have to live there forever, but if you, if you want to gain these different attributes for yourself, 
put yourself around the people, put yourself around the environments, put yourself around the music, put yourself around the energy that embodies that. Hmm. I mean, that pretty much answers the question of what does it mean to be a champion in life? So I think you almost like pretty much answered it, you know, quite honestly. So, yeah. uh, but yeah, right. yeah, and it's be able to tune into that though, right? Like it's like be able to tune into that. It's like, yeah, like what do I want more of? Like what do I want to be be better at? Like what do I want to gain more uh, knowledge surrounding? Right. So that's the first part is understanding that for yourself, what you want to do and get out of things, and then it's putting yourself in the environment to be able to do it, and having the I would say bravery to to have the capacity to do it. I lived all around the world to put I I traveled around Europe by myself. Like I've done I've done a lot of things that that has allowed me to have this this confidence to be able to do these things more and more, but it starts with putting yourself in environments that support the growth that you want to have. Yeah. Well, uh, Kian, where can people learn more about yourself? You know, where can they find you on social media? Uh, where can they learn more? And forgive me. How do you pronounce your last name? Is it Lage? Is it? <laughs> it's so difficult, man. I, I, all my life, nobody's been able to pronounce it. Loggy. Loggy. I, okay. I wouldn't expect anybody to know how to pronounce it either. It's, it's Lage. No, it's classic Midwest. It's, it's exactly how it's, it looks. Well, at least you know when telemarketers are calling the house, right? Is uh, Mr. Lazy there? Yeah. <laughs> no, he's not here. He's not here today. Yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah, uh, but where people can find me, actually, I'm not active on social media right now. That's also a big thing for me here. Is like I, I, I lived in Brazil for a while, and, and I was uh, actively on social media a lot and had more of a social presence there. But now me being here in LA, I'm actually just want to in, interact with my media environment as much as I possibly can. So I disabled my Instagram and I'm not really active at all on Facebook. But what you can do is you can Google me and I've done a ton of podcasts where you can watch those and you can learn more about me that way. Cool. And then your, your website too, right? Oh yeah, website too. Yeah, you can check that out for sure. Yeah. Keyandloggy.com. Yep. That's it. I'm sure you'll put the this the spelling of that in the show notes. It's, it's in it's in the uh, it's in the show notes too for sure on the on the YouTube channel. On the, so yeah, it's in there as well for sure. Well, Kian, man, appreciate you joining us today. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a lot of insight, a lot of great things, and you know, it helped us be more champions in our own lives just being in this virtual environment. So thank you, man. Mm, you're absolutely welcome, and guys, this is awesome. I love this. This is super fun to be on here with you guys just asking incredible questions. And I know the audience is just getting a stupid amount of value from you guys. So thank you guys for putting this on and bringing me into the space. Hey, by no, the way, I got to say, John, before we wrap up, I'm motivated to go to the gym after being on here, seeing the shirtless is getting summer. Let's go. I'm like, I I'm go like dang, come on now. I'm going to go get some curls and yeah, I'm going, I'm ready to go. <laughs> Looking good. Jimmy's going to quit his job and go detail cars. That's what he's going to do. No, I got other things. I'm going to step outside the box, but that's not one of them, okay? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, man. Hey. Jim's going to go be a stripper. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> I'm a, hey, I actually, I actually like to dance, but usually with my clothes hey. on. <laughs> that might be a problem. My wife might not go for that one. That's awesome, man. Hey, I do have to say one thing real quick. This is funny. Real quick, we're wrapping. You're talking about dancing and being a stripper, right? So my son the other night, he got out of the shower and he was like going to his room and he was naked, whatever, and he's dancing around and dancing. We didn't realize he had the window. He had the blinds <laughs> open the window, and there's a girl across the street that's like a third grader as well. And then my wife, my wife walks in and goes, Kaden. She goes, oh my God, there's so so out there. He's like, he dove underneath the bed. Because <laughs> he, he was dancing around all cool. He's saying it felt good. But he's like, oh, somebody's oh. watching. I got to go underneath the bed here. 
Oh, I bet you loved it. Bet you loved kids it. learn from their environment, Jimmy. That tells us something. Just saying. That's right. <laughs> You're doing a great job as a dad. I there love you it. Go. Oh, you okay, man, well. and uh, enjoy the rest of your Friday. Uh, I know it's just getting started for you on the West Coast, uh, but uh, and your weekend. We'll be in touch soon, man, for sure. Yeah, and Keenan, I'm in the West Coast too. I'm I'm in Northern California, so we're you guys close to each other, Jonathan. As far as you haven't met up yet, yes. it's like six hours. Six hours. <laughs> I mean, six <laughs> hours. Yeah, Jonathan, I, I'd love to. Let's. I mean, let's connect for a call or something too. I'd love to do that, man. Yeah, absolutely, cool. for sure. Yeah. Hey, get just right. get to know him. By when I know we're wrapping up, but just get to know him on the first call. Don't go deep with him on the first one. Okay, <laughs> just get to know Jonathan. <laughs> He seems like an incredibly interesting person with a lot of experience. So thank that, you. That, that's what I want to hear. That's what I want to hear more about. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. It's nice to be appreciated once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Kim, man. Thanks again, bud. Appreciate it. All right, guys. All right, guys. Bye. All right, J- Jimmy, wait a minute. Let's get this. So how many times was it for Jonathan today, Jason? Uh, I did it twice. Twice? I did it twice. I did, did I get it once? You did it once. I, got to, I think there's five Jimmies today. I'm not gonna lie. There was a bunch of them. There was a bunch of them. Jimmy, Jimmy up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But man, he was uh I will say though, Kean was a pretty like really interesting guy to talk to. Very, you know, uh, a lot of great stuff with when, when like like the part of like emotional intelligence doesn't mean be more emotional, right? That's like that I think that's a, one of the key points is like, hey, understand your emotions, learn what they're telling you, but that doesn't mean like we should be more emotional right like use them as the tool what they're meant for so i think that was one of my key uh, takeaways from the many things that he pointed out yeah i think my takeaway was just the whole circumstance thing i mean i I, it's we learn everything we learn something new in all these podcasts whether we learn from each other or the guest or whatever but in this case it just highlighted some things that have been just happening coincidentally lately for me where i see so many people that are not out of their comfort zone and they're, 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 I'm not, not criticized, but they're just insecure. They don't believe, mm-hmm. hey, hey, you got to open up my company. Oh, man, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I, that looks too, sounds too hard. I'm like, and I look at them all, and these are all people that stayed in the same area, and they're all reacting like that. And I think COVID didn't help because they, they were at home more in their own area, in their little mm-hmm. world. And I've just been noticing that lately, that there's just that level of overall sense of insecurity. So when he brought up about that, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, and I, and I think one of the things I got from it earlier when he was talking about, you know, you think about social media and he's like, he doesn't care what the thoughts of other people and what they think and whatever it is. And he's, he focuses his energy on people that mean something to him yep. that are, that are, he's going to pour into them and they're pouring into him. He's not, how many times do we spend time throughout the day, right? Thinking about what other people are saying or what they're doing and people are in social media, or whatever. And it's like, does it really matter? No, right? they're impacting you in this negative way for what? And they're taking away from things that are really, truly important for you in your life. Um, that's another thing that kind of spoke to me as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, guys, hey, you know, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Uh, and Jonathan, Jim, thanks for, for tuning in today. Another great I Am a Champion episode. A lot to unpack with this one. So uh, looking forward to rewatching it at some point for sure. Yeah, you guys have a good weekend, man. It's always good to talk. Always good to see you guys in chat. It's all likewise, Jonathan. Jonathan, thanks, buddy. Take care.